When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, it's been like a month since we recorded. Uh, how have you been, sir? So we tell people that we're going to make sure we give them new content every couple of weeks. And right after we said that, we literally went a month without recording. So it happens. But uh, yeah, good, Joey. How are you doing? Uh, oh, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. And and you are correct. It has been far too long. And given that it's been so long, we we kind of knew that we couldn't just come back with any old episode. We we had to give the people something special coming back. Um, and so for this episode, you know, we we had to go to the very best, you know, only the very best. And so uh, please welcome to the podcast. Once again, you know him, you love him, you've missed him. From stateoftheu.com, Mr. Cam Underwood joins the program once again. Cam, how are you doing, sir? I'm good. I'm good as I'm pantomiming my champion's uh, entrance to the ring here uh, that people can't see as we're recording this. But no, man, I mean, it's it's always good to hang out with you guys. Uh, We had a nice 40 minute just catch up session before we started recording uh, and whatnot. But no, I mean, it's good to be here, talk a little bit of football and tell some jokes. That's a sweet championship belt I see you wearing on your shoulder, too. So uh, we'll we'll see if you uh, retain the championship throughout this throughout this episode. We'll have to see. Nobody's going to steal it from me. Like, whatever. Any of you other contributors, come fight me for it, and you're going to lose. Like, that's what I got to say. I think I think Dan Rubin's ready to throw hands somewhere, so we'll, we'll have to find out. But uh, in any case, um, we we are going to hit on uh, Miami here. I think there's a lot of interesting things to talk about with Miami as it relates to this offseason. But um, before we get started, one of the things I did want to want to acknowledge, recognize, something that happened since the last time we recorded. Uh, coming from Georgia Tech, uh, rising senior to- to tackle Brandon Adam, you know, un- passed away in a very unfortunate incident. Um, it was the Saturday night, Sunday morning, right before spring practice started uh, here a few weeks ago. Uh, news came out. The, the story goes that it sounds like it was a very just, you know, innocent, unfortunate uh, occurrence. Um, he he was apparently, you know, helping or he was pledging a fraternity. And part of that process, you know, they were trying to learn a, a step dance, as I understand it. And they were practicing together. They took a break. He felt lightheaded. He kind of fell over, hit his head, and uh, by the time he got to the hospital, he was he was gone. Um, I, I have heard nothing but fantastic things about Brandon, both on and off the field. He seems like he was an incredibly bright young man, um, very very talented on the field, but even off the field. I mean, I think he was involved in his high school theater department. He seemed like he was very uh, very bright and and just a very beloved guy by you know teammates as well as other students and and faculty throughout Georgia Tech. So wanted to recognize him. Um, he and his family and our, and that whole team really are in our thoughts and prayers and um, really just an unfortunate occurrence. But he, uh, you know, he, he continues to live on with his, with his teammates. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be thinking about him and his family here for the uh, the coming season. 
Yeah, it's unfortunate. Um, obviously, you get one of those freak accidents. I mean, unfortunately, I think with uh, with college football as a whole, like you get these random um, unfortunate incidences that happen. I don't know. I'd say like once a year uh, where, you know, somebody passes out during a workout, but you don't ever expect somebody to literally feel lightheaded, fall over, hit their head and have that be it, um, especially at such a young age. So, uh, again, very unfortunate thoughts and prayers to the family. Uh, obviously, a, a very tough situation. I know a lot of the Georgia Tech, uh, the players, the, the coaching staff, uh, you know, you, you could tell that Jeff Collins, you know, even just coming into Georgia Tech and not knowing Brandon extraordinarily well, uh, it was pretty clear that he took it hard. So I, I think that that kind of impact that, you know, Brandon made on his teammates and on the new coaching staff kind of speaks volumes about who he was as a person. So obviously really unfortunate situation. And um, it's something that I think that the team will rally around uh, on the field, but hopefully off the field as well, because obviously it's a really unfortunate situation. Yeah. And I just want to echo what uh, Joy and Mike said, you know, I didn't, uh, really look too much into it, but when you see a, a young person losing their life uh, at that age of 21, it's always a, a tragic kind of a thing. So, uh, to Brandon Allen, to into the uh, Georgia Tech University, or, sorry, Georgia Institute of Technology, and the athletic department and football team, I just offer my sincere condolences and thoughts and prayers moving forward, and hope that uh, you know that they can do so successfully. Yeah. he and uh, again his teammates and his family definitely will be in our thoughts and prayers moving forward. So, um, you know, again just an absolute tragedy and, and heartbreaking and, and all that stuff. But um, again, he continues to live on with his teammates who are, who are hopefully going to play this season to, to honor him. They'll be wearing stickers of his number on their helmets all season. So uh, they'll continue to remember him and honor him. So, um, you know, best wishes to him and his teammates and his family uh, moving forward. Uh, all right, let's move on here. Uh, Cam, we, hey. uh, we have not had you on in a little bit to talk about Miami. Um, I don't know if that much has really changed in that time. Um, I there was some some word about like the head coach changed or something like that. Um, so I don't know if you've really noticed a difference or anything. But um, some guy named Manny is running the team now, um, taking over for the previous guy named Mark. Have you have you seen a change with this program under this? Manny gentleman, as opposed to uh, the Mark guy that was running it between uh, before. Yeah, um, you know that's a good question. Uh, appreciate the question. Appreciate that. Uh, yeah, there's been a, a big. A I'm, well, I'm well researched, you know. I can I can tell I can tell. Yeah, so we we do have Manny Diaz as head coach uh, now. He was uh, the defensive coordinator for the last three years under Mark Richt. He left for exactly 18 days to be the head coach of Temple until. Um, Mark Rick decided that he was going to retire, which of course happened when I was at brunch. So this is one of those things when I'm here, it was celebrating a friend's birthday. It was like 40 of us out there. So seeing, you know, old friends, meeting new friends, having picture after picture of bottomless mimosas and my phone is just going insane. And I'm like, okay, like why are people calling me? Cause then you know, when your phone rings and dings as much as mine was, you think something bad has happened. So I'm like, Oh my God, hope it's not my mom. Hope it's, you know, whatever. And look, and, Every single person I know is like, oh, my God, Mark Rick retired. And I'm like, I'm somewhere in South Florida, well indisposed to be able to, you know, <laughs> write about that. Um, but, yeah, Manny Diaz, in that day, he was interviewing somebody down here in South Florida for the offensive coordinator's job at Temple. His wife called him incessantly to that same level where he stepped out of that interview and said, oh, I, this is my wife. I got to take it. And she was like, 
Mark Rick retired. And Blake James called. They met. He went back to the board of trustees. He went back later that night, offered the contract. Boom. He called Temple, said, yes, I'm leaving. You already knew that this was the job that I was going to be a head coach to try to eventually get. It just happened to come to fruition in less than three weeks. Um, and, yeah, it's been a it's been a, a wholesale change. On defense, Manny is no longer going to be the defensive coordinator. He brought in his protege, Blake Baker, who took over for him when he left from Louisiana Tech to go to Mississippi State years ago, uh, who runs the exact same defense. So Blake Baker is going to be the defensive coordinator. And then he cleaned house on the offensive side of the ball because Miami's offense was terrible and the quarterback play was literally, I believe, the worst in college football in Division One last year. Um, and that is saying something when you have, uh, you know, a program of Miami's caliber with, you know, a top four defense, three. I mean, the best passing defense in America, best, you know, tackles for loss, uh, third down conversions allowed uh, was number one. So, yeah. So you, you have one change on the defensive side of the ball coaching staff and every single staff or staffer on offense has changed. And Miami or sorry, Manny came into this job. And you've heard it and seen it, hashtag TNM, talking about the new Miami. And it's really new from what Rick did because Rick is a, you know, he was in his 60s. He's approaching retirement, probably in retirement now. He's not going to coach again. You know, he's not going to pull a Schnellenberger and say, okay, I'm going to start a program at FAU in five years. And Mark Rick is done as a head coach. You know, he's retired. So he had that kind of energy where, you know, I'm going to do it the way that I want to do it. I'm going to do it how I want to do it. And any of these extras and things and whatnot, the extra time and the extra energy and whatnot, I'm not going to do that because, you know, I won so many um, games. I've been places, you know, I coached a Heisman winner when I was offensive coordinator at Florida State. You know, I did my 15 years at Georgia and won 9.6 games a year, whatever. So he didn't have that same fire anymore. And you saw it like a little bit like there was one game when. Mark Rick really got angry on the sideline. And I think it was 2017 season. It was a home game. I forget which one. Maybe even the bowl game where he just – he really was emotional. Outside of that, you didn't have that. Uh, but Manny Diaz does. And, you know, he's the brainchild – or uh, the, the brain father of the turnover chain. You know, all these different kind of things that Miami's done, especially on defense, to be so elite. Manny Diaz came up with those things. So he has that new energy, and he's talking about that with the staff and the way that they're, you know, presenting the program and things like that. So, I mean, hashtag TNM, the new Miami, it is a, a real departure from the previous staff. And, you know, yeah, you don't have any – I'm not going to say you don't have any, but – there was that clear case of nepotism with John Rick being the quarterback coach who, I mean, is still unhired. All the other coaches, you know, Ron Dugans, he gets hired back at Florida state. Um, Stacy Searles, he's up at Virginia or North Carolina as offensive line coach. Um, Thomas Brown, he's at South Carolina as running backs coach. All these other coaches, uh, you know, uh, Todd Hartley, he's at Georgia ace recruiter. Um, you know, all these other guys, they go places, boom, they get, they get hired. John Richt still doesn't have a job. And that kind of proves the, uh, some of the issues. So that's the short story long for saying, yes, the energy around the program is long. The way that things are running uh, is very different. And I don't know if you guys saw it, but there was a wonderful, wonderful piece in The Athletic about um, Nick Saban looking for Dan Enos for uh, a coaching staff meeting. And so he's going through the whole uh, Alabama facility 
where's Dan? Where's Dan? Screaming at people, where the F is Dan? Because Dan Enos was the quarterback's coach, and he was in line to be the offensive coordinator this year, and none of the staffers were willing to tell Nick Saban that he, Dan Enos had actually left and was in Coral Gables because he's Miami's offensive coordinator now. Uh, so there's like a wonderful piece by Bruce Feldman, I believe it was, uh, detailing all of that behind the scenes. It was really, really awesome. So be sure you guys check that out also. Hey, Cam. So the the Mark Rick stuff kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, as somebody who's around the program, nobody was really expecting him to to step aside when he did. Right. I mean, it was such I, I mean, it ended up working out fine because, you know, you do get Manny Diaz back in, in a span of like 72 hours or whatever it was. But nobody was really expecting this. Right. I mean, it was it did come as out of nowhere nowhere as you know everybody kind of interpreted it to be right yeah pretty much um you know there were conversations uh you know through the losing streak towards the end of the year about or even through like pretty much the whole year because obviously the product on the field was not to the level that it should have been uh at miami so the, the conversations are had about you know changing staff members which means and necessitates firing your son or leveraging your 30 years of coaching experience to get him hired or promoted up elsewhere. So, you know, you can bring in an offensive coordinator who's going to coach quarterbacks and call plays, which means Mark Rick, you're not going to call plays yourself. You know, there were a lot of moving parts and pieces that really needed to be done. And I think the introspection for Mark Rick, he came to the point of that he didn't have it in him to do all of that. You know, to give all that extra effort, to do all these extra, you know, just different things. Like, you know, he came to Miami because he wanted to call plays. Like, you know, play calling was taken away from him in Georgia. You had Mike Bobo, you had other people. But he leveraged that and came into Miami and said, cool, like, I will coach, but I want to call plays. And I he had the cachet to be able to do that. Offensive coordinator at Miami the last couple of years was Thomas Brown the running back who played for Mark Rick and everything. Uh, and he helped with installs and game planning and whatnot. But Mark Rick called the play. So it doesn't matter what Thomas Brown is saying. He's saying, hey, coach, hey, coach, I've done this before. Eh, sit down. Um, but giving up that control and then also really just obviously, you know, recruiting this past year didn't go the way it should have. Um, and everybody knows that Mark Rick is a very pious man and very, very staunch on all of his rules. And some of those things were grating on some of the players in the program. You know, you look at a Jeff Thomas who was going to leave and was finishing up his fall semester before transferring to Illinois. And luckily he was still here to be able to come back to the team. Um, things like that. I mean, Marquez Ezard, he left and didn't come back. But, you know, you look at the there were seeds of discontent there. And I just think that Mark Richt, I don't know what about that day. Because that was New Year's Eve, I want to say, or something like that. I don't know what it was about that day that made him come to that conclusion, but it was, it wasn't like. And Blake James, the athletic director, said when directly asked that he was not going to force Mark Richt into any changes. So I take that to you know I take Blake James at his word because he's done a lot of things he's said before that he didn't push this on Mark Richt. I just think that Mark Rick kind of saw the writing on the wall eventually. And that was just kind of the day that, you know, it was a Sunday, you know, maybe he went to church and prayed about it. Um, and then, you know, spoke to his wife about it and, you know, came to that final conclusion. But yeah, it was pretty much out of the blue. Cam, you mentioned the thing about Thomas Brown. I always found that really interesting. Um, pretty unusual in my experience that a, like a running back running backs coach would then be your offensive coordinator. Um, typically your running backs coaches, 
you know, he's going to coach coach the backs, but he's more there as like a recruiting kind of guy on the staff as opposed to an X's and O's play calling kind of kind of situation. You know, usually that's more on the the quarterbacks coach, some degree either the wide receivers coach or the offensive line coach. You know, so that's I always found that odd. I, I just I thought that was interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, but yeah. you also had um, all those different guys had coordinator titles. So uh, you know, Thomas Brown was the offensive coordinator. Um, Ron Dugans was the pass game coordinator. Uh, Stacey Searles was the run game coordinator. Uh, so, I mean, you had like those kind of things. But, I mean, when you have 25-year-old John Richt, who, I mean, God bless his soul. Like, I don't wish ill upon him. But, I mean, he was so far out of his depth that, I mean, yeah, that's dragging down the entire staff and everything. Obviously, Stacey Searles was not able to recapture his previous work, uh, you know, at Texas uh, when they had a good offensive line or Virginia Tech when he was there previously uh, and things like that. So, I mean, you had multiple people failing at their jobs. Um, and, yeah, the construction of the staff was weird because, yeah, you you gave Thomas Brown the offensive coordinator title so you could pay him to get him away from Georgia is what it was. You know, because he was at Wisconsin for a year, coached Melvin Gordon. He's at uh, Georgia for a year or two, and he coached Todd Gurley. Cool. Awesome. I want that guy to recruit and bring in and coach up our backs. But to be able to compete, we have to give him that title. And that's really where that came from. But it was, you know, it was ceremonial at best because, yeah, like you said, you know, Mark Richt was doing the game planning and calling the plays. So, like, yeah, I mean, you, you put that on on his uh his title and then you can add a couple, you know, crooked numbers or some zeros on his, uh, his paycheck and, you know, you get him down here. Makes total sense. Uh, the other guy that you mentioned coming in that I think is one of the more like under the radar, intriguing stories of the offseason in college football is Dan Enos leaving Alabama to come down to Miami as quarterbacks coach and offensive coordinator. There's a lot of really interesting stuff, you know, and rumors and such about how he went about leaving Alabama that if you haven't, looked into it yet i would recommend reading it because it it turns into some pretty good uh cartoon level kind of stuff but um he inherits a quarterback room cam that has a lot of um a lot of flux it's kind of going through a lot of flux right now of guys coming in guys going out um it was not really a, a particularly stable room to begin with um so two, two really meaningful things here. First of all, uh, Cade Weldon was a guy who had not really gotten a lot of playing time yet as a quarterback, despite you know what we had seen from Malik Rozier, from Nikosi Perry, those boys. Um, Cade Weldon's transferring away from Miami. Uh, I don't know if he's declared necessarily where he's going yet or not, and it's probably not that important. Um, at the same time, coming in the door, uh, none other than our boy, Tathan Martell, uh, coming in from Ohio State, um, and he's a guy that brings, I think, plenty of, um, I don't know if baggage is the right word, but he, he's, he's not shy about what he thinks and what he feels at any given point, you know, so he, he brings some attention with him at least, um, pretty talented guy leaving Ohio state with Justin Fields coming in. There's, there's just a lot going on with the Miami quarterback room. Um, I, I guess when, when Danny knows walks in and, and this is kind of the group that he's working with, what is it that you think that he's really got to deal with here in terms of personalities, skill sets, um, you know, incumbents, all, all sorts of factors that play into figuring out who's going to be leading the offense this fall. Yeah, that's the thing that we're looking at most closely that an offensive line, because the offensive line for Miami has been a sieve recently, uh, which is, you know, unsustainable as well. So first I'll start with Cade Weldon. Yeah, he wasn't going to play here. I mean, he was the other quarterback in the recruiting class with Nikosi Perry. 
Um, yeah, they were both, you know, Perry was like a medium high four star. Weldon was a high three star ish, low four star guy uh, in the same recruiting year as Tate Martell, by the way. So they're all that same 2018 recruiting class um, and whatnot. So um, wait, 18? 17, excuse me, 2017 recruiting class because they he sat 17, played 18, Nikosi did. So, yeah, 2017 yeah, uh, recruiting Huh? What year is it? I can't remember. I can never remember. I know. I, no, I literally had to look at my computer and say, well, yeah. So it's, they were in that same class. Um, I wrote at the time it was it was better to stick with Perry and Weldon than go after Martell when he decommitted from the first school he was committed to because uh, he said he had interest in Miami. But I was like, look, we got two gr- good dudes. You know, it didn't end up going that way. Uh, but Cade Weldon was always the other guy in that class. When you bring in the best quarterback or one of the best quarterbacks in that class and Tate Martell uh, down here to Miami with Nikosi Perry as well. And Jaron Williams, who was last year's 2018 uh, commit um, from uh, Lawrenceville, Georgia, the same city, but other high school as uh, Trevor Lawrence. Uh and My hometown, was, baby. Oh, nice, nice, nice. You went to Central Gwinnett or you went to Cartersville? I went to Collins Hill, but Central Gwinnett was like right next to where I went to church growing up. Okay. So, yeah, Joey knows exactly where that is. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, when you have three guys who are way more talented than, I mean, the writing is on the wall. Uh, and Cade Weldon got suspended as a red shirt. His, his red shirt year, he got suspended. And he got suspended last year as a red shirt freshman. So his first and second years on campus, he got suspended. And that kind of goes back to the previous conversation about Mark Rick being very strict about his rules and things like that. So it's better for him to seek shelter elsewhere because you got, I mean, you have negative playing time for this guy moving forward. Um, I, I mean, maybe he could be the holder on field goals and extra points, if that, but probably not. So, yeah, that's why he moved away. Getting back to Dan Enos and what he has, he has three talented guys. In this quarterback battle, uh, Nikosi Perry, Jaron Williams, and Tate Martell, each of them is unique. Uh, they have their own strengths. The weakness is, for everyone, this offense is brand new. And the Canes fan base, we had a Twitter party one day because Mike Harley or Jeff Thomas, one of the wide receivers, put up a screenshot of the cover of their playbook at a specific chapter. And it said, motions. And Miami has not run motion at all in the better part of 15 years. And I'm talking about simple, short motion, orbit. Like you, Miami lines up and runs their play. That's what we've traditionally done. So seeing even that there's going to be motions, and apparently lots of them, uh, maybe not Matt Canada-level motions, but you know more than just sedentary, that was a big deal. So all these quarterbacks have to learn this system. That's a big hurdle. Each one of them has... Um, they're athletic gifts that are, you know, good or bad also. Nikosi Perry, if he was a baseball player, he would have an 80 arm on the 2080 scale. He has a cannon attached to his right shoulder. I mean, and I don't understand how, like, some people watch throws and they're like, oh, like, no, this other guy. I'm like, no, of these guys, Jaron, I'm sorry, Nikosi Perry has an absolute cannon. Now, he needs some touch on that. He needs to work on his footwork. He needs to work on his drops. All the quarterbacks do, especially since there's going to be, uh, you know, eye formation or under center more than, you know, with Mark Richt, we were in the shotgun 93% of the time. You're talking maybe 50-50 between under center and in the shotgun, maybe a pistol, maybe offset, something different. So, you know, working on the pace of your drops, that's a big thing. Um, Everybody wants to talk about maturity because Mark Richt talked about that with um, 
Nikosi being such a big issue last year, but that's a thing that even Nikosi has said he needs to grow up and not just be a reckless 19-year-old. He needs to comport himself like the quarterback at the University of Miami. So that's a big thing as well. Um, and then also reading defenses. That's a thing that all of these players are going to have to struggle with because it might even be a little bit different than what they're used to because the offense is different than what they're used to. So that's Nikosi. Jaron is probably the most talented thrower of the ball of any of these three guys. I mean, he just he gets it. Um, he played under no, he played shotgun a lot in high school, uh, but he's pretty good on his drop. So he's going to, have to uh, you know, work on that. He Nikosi is more athletic than Jaron, but not as athletic as Tate. Um, so Jaron is going to have to, you know, be that person who can maneuver in the pocket. Um, a little bit more and uh, to not necessarily run, but just kind of evade people before he's able to throw um, as I'm sitting here wiggling my chairs, I'm demonstrating that for you guys. Um, but, and the last thing for him last year as a redshirt freshman, cause he came in as a, a um, early enrollee. So we get to see him last spring. You could even see in the spring game that college football was a half step or a step too fast for Jaron Williams. It was, everything was just spinning. That needs to slow down. He needs to be able to see the picture of the field, especially if we're going under center eye formation and doing hard play action, not that zone read play action where you're looking at the defense, where you take a picture, turn your back for a, a handoff, and you have to turn around and all of a sudden recapture what was actually there. So that would be Nikosi's strengths and then or weaknesses, Jaron being the same. Tate Martell is brash. He's cocky. I love that about him. He is not the most natural thrower of the ball. Um, the other two, they throw a very tight spiral. So if you know watching um, like watching a college football being thrown because it has that white little half ring, it looks like a donut circle coming straight at you, you know, when it's a tight spiral. Tate's will flutter a little bit. And so he has some of that. He's not the most accurate. Um, and he really, really struggles with his drops. Uh, and Dan Enos has said that a couple of times. Like he um, – Tate Martell will fade one way or the other, like a little bit too to the left or a little bit to the right. And that's kind of part and parcel because Tate Martell is five foot eleven and Jaron Williams is six three and Nicosi Perry is six four. So you gotta kind of shade yourself a little bit to get to a window when you're five eleven, barely, you know, like five ten, five eleven. You know, think Kyler Murray. You're not gonna necessarily get a straight drop every time. Um, but that bad habit can get exacerbated over time. So uh Tate Martell does have to work on that. Where Tate Martell is special, and you know this if you watch his highlights or if you saw any of the 82 million games from when he was in high school at Bishop Gorman on television, Tate Martell is electric when he has to extend the play. Now, it's the same style of play as Johnny Manziel, but I'm not going to say it's the same ability level. But that same kind of sandlot, okay, there's a guy coming from the blind side. I do a reverse exit. I'm running around. I'm extending the play. Uh, even that long touchdown run he had uh, against Rutgers for Ohio State last year. That was a thing where, you know, the play broke down and then all of a sudden he's gone for 65 yards. You know, like that electric kind of thing, that ceiling for like, I mean, I can hit a home run anytime is great, but can he hit the throw on time on second and seven to move the change? Can he, uh, chains? Can he do those kind of things? So, I mean, each of the players, and again, all these guys were four stars I mean, Tate Martell was a five-star for the balance of his cycle. I think on the very last post-signing day update uh, for 247 and Rivals, they dropped him from like a five-star down to like the highest four-star possible. So between Perry and Williams and Martell, all three of these guys have talent. Um, it's really just about coaching them up, and especially for Perry, who's going to be in his third year, and Williams, who's going to be in his second year. Like I spoke about before, there was zero um, 
player development happening at the coach, uh, the quarterback position. You had a coach who didn't know what he was doing, and he was only doing what he his dad told him to do. But his dad was a head coach, so his dad is really doing the job. But that means you're not really getting that development. So you know, people who have been at practice, and we have a, a writer for State of the U who's been there every day. You're like you're talking about the leaps and bounds that have been made by Perry and Williams. Well, yeah, when you have real coaching all of a sudden these things happen but you know dan enos has done a great job in multiple stops when he was at central michigan and he's a dearborn native which is a near lying suburb to detroit where i am from if you've seen the movie eight mile that is the city where um b rabbit is from uh over there in dearborn so uh Eminem, you know, one time, uh, only one shot. But, yeah, you know, he's a good Michigander. He worked at Central Michigan uh, with the offensive line coach. He did a good job there. He did a good job with quarterbacks at Arkansas. Obviously, um, you saw the development that happened with both quarterbacks at Alabama last year. So I know that Dan Enos can do the job, but, you know, a progression takes time. And I've always believed that in every walk of life. So, uh, you know, hopefully we see some progressional steps being taken uh, this spring and it will continue moving forward. But, yeah, you know, that he does have a diverse cast and uh, that he can choose from. And each player does offer their own strengths and weaknesses. But like when you have three, four star or five star recruits in the room, um, there's no reason that Miami's quarterback play should be 123rd out of 123, period. So I agree with that, Cam. But you know what? In addition to all the questions you guys have at quarterback, I feel like we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the transfer market a little bit. Because as a Virginia Tech alum, the one guy that's uh, the one guy of many transferring into Miami, of course, they've had some players transferring out as well. But the uh, the one guy transferring into Miami that I think will help them right away, a pass rush that was already very good is former Virginia Tech defensive end Trayvon Hill. So tell me what you think of him. Uh, tell me what you think of not only him, but the rest of the guys who have transferred into Miami uh, in the offseason, uh, the strides they've made in spring practice, and what you expect out of the guys coming into the program and the guys maybe who are leaving uh, heading into the 2019 season. Well, now, most of the guys who are transferring in are not even here yet. So that's a thing that we're going to have to wait and see uh, and then just kind of – bring the same performance that they had at their previous stops. Um, but, I mean, Tate Martell being one of those guys who has transferred in, K.J. Osborne, wide receiver from Buffalo, who was the number two receiver for um, Tyree Jackson up there uh, the last couple of years. He had like 800-something yards and uh, almost double-digit touchdowns in his career. Uh, he's another Michigander. He's a native uh, from Ypsilanti who went to IMG Academy before going to Buffalo. Uh, he's a guy who's a fifth-year senior, and he's just going to be a professional um, in that room. Uh, just knowing how to practice, being a little bit older, being, uh, you know, things uh, of that nature. <laughs> I love the the chat we have going on with the, the little annotations as uh, we're recording. But, yeah, so, uh, you know, those couple of guys on offense are here already, and that's going to be a help. Uh, Tommy Kennedy is a grad transfer from Butler. He played the last two seasons as their left tackle, uh, but Miami's been working him uh, at second-team center uh, this year because, uh, I mean, maybe that's just the best place where he fits. So we'll see about that. Um, on the, uh, the other additions. So Trayvon Hill, he had the highest tackle for loss or pressure percentage of, uh, defensive end in the ACC through the time that he played like the first three or four games last year. Um, and when you come to a defense that is predicated on havoc of getting up the field on the defensive line or the front seven, um, that seems like a perfect fit. I mean, you got a guy who was literally doing what our offense is built on better than anybody else in the conference. Yeah, sign me up. Give me that. I mean, like, and, and 
you know, it's a position where depth was needed, but you still have John Garvin, who's going to probably be a first or second round draft pick in 2020. Um, Gregory Russo, he ended up having to redshirt, but this kid is massive. There's a picture on Twitter of, of tight end Will Mallory in a three-point stance. And Will Mallory is 6'5", about 235, 240. And across from him is this gigantic beast. And you're like, you, you would think that Will Mallory is like 6'1", 210. But no, Greg Russo is 6'7", 270. I mean, he's just huge. He has his long arms. And I mean, this is a kid who played outside linebacker, wide receiver, and safety in, in high school and got to college, and they finally embraced. I mean, and you get a you know full-time nutrition program, you get a weight program, and you just stack this weight on. He's a massive dude, and he personally precipitated the offensive line change last spring because Miami's offensive line could not block Gregory Russo. That kid is coming back as a redshirt freshman after hurting his knee last year. Jafari Harvey looks like the next John Garvin, who was a three-star underrated kid, ended up as a four-star from uh, Port St. Lucie. Um, he comes down, he's an early enrollee, and he's turning heads already. So, And you got Scott Patchen, a fifth-year senior, who was a four-star recruit. He's finally rounding into shape where he can be. I think he's on the number one defensive line right now, but he's in the rotation. So if you add in a Trayvon Hill to that kind of group, um, you know, where maybe you can bring along Rousseau and and, uh, and Harvey slowly and rotate him in with, uh, you know, the other guys at the top of the rotation, that's a big win for Miami. Um on top of that, on the defensive line, Chigozi Naruka um, from UCLA. He's a defensive tackle. He's kind of come over. He played two years ago in 2017. He played more than 2018 because they uh, UCLA under Chip Kelly switched from a 4-3 to a 3-4. And he's not nose tackle sized. He's, you know, three or five technique sized um, uh, as a defensive tackle. So once you go to a, you know, nose guard, you know, zero tech, you know, gigantic Jerry Ball, Vince Wilfork size dude, and you don't have that physical size, there go all your snaps. So he's going to come over to Miami and hopefully reprise the role that Tito um, Odenegbo had this past year, um, rotating in and being, you know, one of the top uh, defenders on the defensive line. So that's another transfer we have coming in through the transfer portal. And I know, like, I'm going to keep going because there's more. Um <laughs> but wait, the offseason on the transfer market. Bro, and I mean, but like every article that you've read about like Miami killing the market and everything, yeah, because we went and got everybody like lickety split. Like it was that, you know, if you remember the old NCAA um, EA sports game where you would like offer a guy who would commit that first week before you had to uh, use any uh, resources to recruit him over time. That's basically what happened with the transfer portal. We contacted these dudes, boom, and they committed and they signed or whatever. And it was real quick. So, uh, you know, that was pretty awesome you know obviously needing uh to bolster this roster because you know when you're losing guys and uh you know to graduation and everything and having a mediocre at best um mediocre at very optimistically best a uh, recruiting class and you're gonna have to go elsewhere to really fill in with game ready bodies because if you press these freshmen into action i mean to Corey couch i like him a lot i think he can cover he's a cornerback who's five nine 148 pounds and you're going to throw him in day one in the ACC? Like, no, nah, that's – exactly. I mean, he's 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 small, he's thin, and he's short. Like, Trajan Bandy was at least 180. You know, he's that same size, but he was bulky. Decorey Couch is not that. So, he's yeah, taller I, than Darren Sproles and wider than Darren Sproles. Right. 
Exactly. How does that guy but, cover wide receivers? Like, hey, man, you know, uh, it takes a special person. But, you know, I, I just say that to say, like, if you're going to rely on those guys, you're going to need a year, maybe of physical development. So you got to go get these transfers. Um, one of the most impactful, I think, transfers is going to be Bubba Bolden from USC. He was, uh, I think, the number two overall safety a couple, three years ago in the recruiting class. He's the third Bishop Gorman player on Miami's roster from Las Vegas, Nevada, that joining freshman All-American tight end Brevin Jordan and the aforementioned Tathan Martell at quarterback. Um, so he's coming over with a couple of those uh, former teammates. Uh, Bubba Bolden is, you know, 6'3", 205, and he's you know, just the prototype at free safety. Uh, he was going to start for US USC last year, got kicked off of campus um, and like out of school for a incident. You can look it up. There's an article in the LA Times, but uh, the, hmm. the details thereof are contested. But long story short, hmm. something he wasn't able to be on campus or in school, uh, but he served his year off campus and they said, okay, we're going to reinstate you and things like that. Uh, but he instead decided that he's going to go from the community college that he attends now in the LA area. He's going to leave there and come over to Miami uh, and he's going to start. I mean, he's just, he's an NFL player and Miami has, is going to have three NFL players, NFL type players are down the road uh, players at safety and him, Amari Carter and Gervin Hall. Um, so, you know, players like Robert Knowles, who, you know, he's a good hurricane and I wish him the best and his degree and everything, but I don't want to see him playing anymore because if you remember in 2017, both touchdowns that Florida state scored were directly because Robert Knowles was out of position. So, We've been down this road with A.J. Highsmith. We've been down this road with Natambu Akil Fentress of a guy who is just not physically talented enough to play at Miami in safety. You bring in a Bubba Bolden, and now you put him in that triumvirate again with Hall and Carter. Now that upgrades that position. Jalen Phillips was the number one overall recruit two years ago. He went to UCLA. He got injured. He, you know, uh, had middling success. He decides that he's going to leave. He's transferring to Miami. He's going to have to sit this year. Um, and then he'll play in 2020. And incidentally, Jalen Phillips is a going to be a music production major, a music engineering major, which is Miami School of Music, from which I graduated, is a top three school of music in the country. And the music engineering uh major is the most difficult major in this elite school so he's not even just like oh i'm using fruity loops or you know my I, uh, apple ipad or whatever like no he like well I, and it's funny I, I i hope to interview him and talk to him really about you know the the foundations of music and like just you know like the the nature of like sound waves and like things like that i mean but those are the things that you do in, in music engineering um so he's gonna do that and then um be here as well so like he's not just uh some random soundcloud rapper like he's really uh technically advanced uh in the area of music so i just hey, want what's, to put what, what's wrong with soundcloud what's the no, problem hey, no no if you are just a soundcloud we're on soundcloud no hey i'm not saying that soundcloud is a bad platform i'm saying for musicians if you think that putting something up on soundcloud is like as far as it goes in music there are levels still beyond that and jalen phillips is on one of those levels and i hope to talk to him about that um the last transfer that i can think of is asa martin running back from auburn university he is going to sit out this next season in 2019 as well he was a four-star recruit like the number eight overall running back last recruiting cycle Asa Martin went to Auburn and they just implemented this new you can play four games in a season rule before uh, and and maintain your red shirt. So they played him in four games. 
and then played him in the bowl game. So he played his fifth game and burned his red shirt. Um, and apparently he was like telling the coach, he's like, no, like I played four. Like I'm going to burn my red shirt. Like, come on, coach. Uh, and they put him in anyway. So he decided that he wanted to leave and go elsewhere. And that elsewhere is Coral Gables. So, uh, yeah, lots of transfers. I might have even missed one. But a lot of those guys are going to have to plug and play. Trayvon Hill is going to play. Chigosi Naruka is going to play. Bubba Bolden is going to play. KJ Osborne is going to play. Tate Martell, we'll see what happens. Tommy Kennedy, eh, we'll see what happens. And the other guys are going to redshirt. But, yeah, lots of du- new dudes uh, who played elsewhere in college football coming into Miami. Hopefully they keep up uh, playing at a great level. By the way, you brought up the Bubba Bolden being uh, dismissed from USC. I, I looked up the story of what happened in it. It sounds like it's something along the lines of like treason and insider trading or something like that that he got kicked out of school for. I don't know. There's just they're just allegations. Who's to say? I don't I don't know what happened or not. Um. Anyways, uh, Cam, last question. Uh, right now, Miami's win total for 2019 is eight and a half. It sounds like you're going over. Over. <laughs> okay. I mean, like our, minus one forty-five, but hey, right. I mean, our crossover opponents are whom? Um, Florida State and oh, you, you meant crossover? I thought oh, I was thinking uh, out of conference. Sorry. No, no, no. I mean, out of conference, we start with Florida. Yeah, I got that. Then we got Central uh, Michigan, Bethune Cookman, and somebody else. Um, I don't even know. Hold on. I got I to gotta look because I got Central. It. I got it. Okay. Uh, Florida State and Louisville. They're getting Louisville at home. Okay. Well, I mean, they're going to be a little bit tougher with Scott Satterfield than, uh, you know, they were last year, but that should still be a win. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, unless Miami beats themselves again. Oh, and FIU, but that's going to be a win. So, I mean. This is actually a super weird schedule for Miami. So Miami starts neutral site against Florida. Then they go to on Chapel August Hill. 24th, by the way. Oh, yeah. That's on week zero. The earliest start ever. Then in week two, they go to Chapel Hill and take on North Carolina. Then there are five straight home games against Bethune-Cookman, Central Michigan, Virginia Tech, Virginia, and Georgia Tech. And then four of the last five on the road at Pittsburgh, at Florida State, versus Louisville, at FIU, at Duke. And there's three bye weeks in there because Miami has a bye week one because, you know, by moving the kick up. Because they need attention. They need attention. Yeah, need the attention, you know, the spotlight. So starting on the 24th, excuse me, instead of the 31st, that adds a third bye week. So, yeah, you got a bye week in August, one in September, and then another one in November. So, yeah, it's a real intriguing schedule. But, yeah, I'm going over for sure. Fair enough. We will uh, we'll revisit this here probably in like three to four months. We'll have to see. Uh, Mike, anything else for Cam Miami-wise before we uh, move on into some other general ACC stuff? Not, my, not Miami-wise, but there are some interesting ACC stories that I can't wait to get Cam's take on. Lord, are there some interesting ACC stories? Um, all right, so by the way, that that is Cam Underwood. He's a, you know, Runs stateoftheu.com on the SB Nation Network. If you're looking for Miami facts and you didn't know about him, you're probably not listening to our podcast. So, um, but if if you know friends that are looking for Miami stuff, uh, send them to stateoftheu.com. Cam has all sorts of stuff there, as as you can tell. He's extremely knowledgeable about the program. Go check him out there. Um, Cam, you want to stick around and talk more ACC nonsense with us? Absolutely. Hell yeah. Okay. First thing, first order of business, since we haven't recorded in about a month here. Uh, and, and Mike, I want to get your take on this first. Um, we got news a couple weeks ago 
Um, there's a man coaching in this conference named Dave Doran. He coaches at the North Carolina State University up in Raleigh. Um, his team's pretty good. He got a contract extension recently. Um, that's a good move, right? Like, that makes sense. Don't let anybody ever tell you that you can't get by in life by being average. <laughs> Moral of the story with Dave Doran. You can absolutely get by by being average. Dude, if you've learned anything from Scott Leffler and Brian Van Gorder, you can get by being like really subpar. Really, really, really subpar. You just won't necessarily get paid as much as you would if you were just (laughs) simply average. Dave Doran, average coach, contract extension, pay raise. Mm. Don't let anybody tell you you can't be average, Joey and Cam. Mm. That's how I feel about it. Man. There's my rant. Cam, as, as, as an ACC football fan, are you concerned that a coach of the level of Dave Doran is remaining in the conference and uh, going to be sticking around and continuing to build this NC State program? I push back on the thought that he's going to continue to build the program. I think that he's hit the ceiling because if with the guys who are on the team and the way that the schedule fell the last couple of years – if better was possible, better would have happened. You know, I'm, I, and I looked up the uh, Dave Doran's, was this six years in um, wherever NC State is? I have no idea. Raleigh. Uh, some, Raleigh, there you go. Um, three and nine his first year. Okay, fine. Eight and five, seven and six, seven and six, nine and four, nine and four. Where's better? You know, like, I don't think that, I mean, you're not going to get too much above that. Plus the fact, even if you do, in the Atlantic division, get much better. You got to go up against that beast from Clemson, South Carolina. So what? And, you know, you expect to beat Florida State. Cool. You couldn't even do that when they were terrible. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I'm fine with it. It raises the floor uh, for NC State, uh, but also maybe, you know, lowered the ceiling a little bit, kind of put them in kind of a narrow window of what you know their potential is so I, I think the floor has been raised and the ceiling has been lowered but i'm fine with it really uh with dave doran being there it doesn't really scare me it doesn't really do anything for me and i mean i know that you know mike gave his rant about you know underachieving and being mediocre and everything but you know for a great number of programs mediocrity would be uh an, an improvement so uh you know being in that eight nine win a year range you know, you need to, ha- I mean, to have a good conference, you have to have multiple teams on that level. And if NC State is there as their ceiling of nine and four, including a bowl game, I think that that's fine. Um, I wouldn't have extended him. I wouldn't have given him a raise personally, uh, you know, like they did at NC State. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't feel any way tired or, or offended that he's going to continue to be there and lead an eight win, nine win team. He's a good and coach. I, he's fine, right? Like, Right. He got hired because he had a couple of really good teams at North, Northern Illinois. Those teams were built by Jerry Kill. Jerry Kill cuts and leaves and goes to Minnesota. Dave Doran takes him over and goes to the Orange Bowl as if like that was really his doing. He was only the head coach for two years at Northern Illinois before getting the NC State job. Cam, you mentioned his track record there, and I, this is what I was looking at earlier today. He is 43-34 and 34 at NC State, and in particular, he is – 20 and 28 in conference play. Oof. He is eight I, games I, under 500 in conference play, right? 
Now, what you did also mention is he was three and nine his his first year at NC State, and he was zero and eight in ACC play that first year. So, if we just take that out and we just look at the last five years, he is a collective forty and twenty five. He is an even twenty and twenty in ACC play. And to me, the most telling thing is that again, he's finished over five hundred every single season of those past five seasons. He's won at least eight games in three of those seasons. He's only finished ranked once. They finished 23rd in 2017, and otherwise they have not finished ranked at all. And we've I've I've mentioned this before, and I've I've brought it up before we came on and started recording, is that we're getting very close to the episode that I cannot wait to do, which is where we sit here and we look back. Let's look at the roster that NC State had going into the 2017 season, and then let's look at the NFL draft of the past two seasons, including this one that's coming up later this month, and tell me how it is that he lost eight games in two years with the, the players that were on that team. And tell me why this guy is deserving of a of a uh, an extension and a raise and all this stuff. That's the thing that I don't get. And and that's that we need to bring on uh, our boy from NC State to to discuss this because I, I need to understand the Raleigh perspective on this. I, I feel like there should be some outrage somewhere that. Again, a guy with a, you know a, a solid level of NFL talent in his roster is going nine and four, and we're not angry about that. Paul Johnson had no NFL, almost no NFL talent in his roster, and they went eleven and three and won the Orange Bowl one year. Right, like they were going over five hundred in conference every single year, pretty much, except for twenty fifteen. Like, I, this I mean, is where I have big questions about Dave Doran and his legitimacy as a coach in this program. I mean, okay, so look, if you go through the regular season in 2018, you lost to Clemson, fine. That was the machine. Mm-hmm. You uh, you know, because you haven't won the textile bowl in a million year, years, fine. You lost to Cle- or Syracuse in the Dome by 10. That's not a great loss, but, I mean, there, there's worse out there, so fine. And then, okay, the one you lose to Wake Forest. Okay, yeah, all right. So, and then you get your doors blown off by Texas A&M in the bowl game. 2017, if you look, scroll, 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 you lost to South Carolina in the opener, Notre Dame, Clemson, and Wake Forest to get – wait, you lost to Wake Forest multiple years in a row? Okay, yeah, no, that's a prop, buddy. That's the, that's the thing I don't get. I mean, and, and Wake Forest really has been the thorn in their side the last two years, and it's – especially this past year, I mean, Wake Forest was like scratching and clawing trying to get to a – bowl berth you had them at home on a thursday night and you had them beat and you found a way to lose the game like there's just some there's a couple of small things that they could just do if they just do them right you know they they have double digit wins at some point and they they don't for some reason so i don't know um dave doran gets an extension at nc state he's getting paid uh three and a quarter million dollars annually uh through the 2023 season i don't really understand it but all right. I mean, if this is the guy that we really believe is going to, um, you know, get the program over the top and finish, a, you know, have a top 10 finish for the first time in program history, which is the most unthinkable bonkers thing, you know, for a team that hasn't just started in the last 30 years. I mean, they how they've never had a top 10 finish in their history is beyond me. But um, I mean, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. I mean, maybe they have leaned in to who they are and they have a clear picture that you know, that much better is not going to happen. And I would rather have this than try to blow it up in search of 
glory and end up with Will Muschamp. You know what I mean? Or something, you know, like you could, I mean, that's what Florida did. Now remember, they got rid of Zook and they said, okay, we're going to bring this guy in and he's going to get us back to the top. And, you know, we're going to not take, you know, this level of success. Fine. You want to go somewhere else? University of Michigan, Lloyd Carr, you know, winning nine, 10 games a year. Yes, he won that 1997 national championship, but past that, nothing else happened. But every year is nine, 10, 11 wins. But Michigan, no, they want to be Michigan men and everything. And I can say that because I have a family of Michigan men. I used to go to Michigan games growing up. But then they're saying, no, 10 wins is not good enough. And then what do they do? They brought in Brady Hoke and won three games, four games. You know what I mean? Like maybe NC State is saying, eh, let's not get too big for our britches. We know this is where we should be, and we're just going to be comfortable as we are. That's, that's totally fair. Any sort of coaching search turns into a, a crapshoot of get it right or get it wrong. So if that's if that's the logic is at least we know what we're going to get from this, fine with me, I guess. I, I, I'm okay with that. Well, I feel like my uh, my rant about Dave Doran was just a uh, was just a starting point because this next topic, Cam, I'm really curious to get your input on this and whether or not, as a Miami fan, you're angry or you're happy or I, I don't know, proud of your school for kind of starting this revolution, but. Hey, uh, Paul Johnson's gone. Jeff Collins is in at Georgia Tech. And hey, new year, new team, new staff. And Georgia Tech has a takeover. Uh, I'm sorry, a takeaway cruiser. Um, huh. Hey, to hell with the takeover chain. The take, takeover chain. The takeaway chain. Turnover Here's chain. the takeaway cruiser. Hell yeah. Uh, Cam talks about how the Miami program kind of looks different going from Mark Rick to uh, Manny Diaz. This is this is like upgrading from your grandparents' mid-80s Oldsmobile to like a 2018 Corvette here. Um, in terms of going from Paul Johnson's program to Jeff Collins' program. Uh, yeah, so a, a program that used to almost aggressively try not to make any waves or draw any attention to themselves in any way, shape, or form – uh, we're in spring practice, and what we found out is that Jeff Collins on their defense um, – now, Jeff Collins, of course, the person that made famous the money down on third downs at Florida and then at Temple, um, the uh, the swag chalice up at Temple. He had the, uh, I think, cans of swag. It was recruiting tool at Mississippi State, all this. Uh, Georgia Tech now has a takeaway cruiser, and the, the cruiser, for those unaware, is kind of a low-riding bike. Um, yeah, the, screw the turnover chain, Joey. Give me the three-speed bike. I, I need a mode of transportation up in here for for getting interceptions. Give me, give me that basket and that paper boy route. Let's get to work. <laughs> um, for those unfamiliar with the uh, the geography of Georgia Tech's campus, the uh, the football stadium and the locker room and all that is. Uh, <sighs> maybe a quarter mile or so from the practice field. It's not that far, but it's it's some sense of a walk. It's not like right next door. Um, and so basically what this enables the team to do is a certain defender who's creating turnovers in practice now gets to ride loops around his teammates as they walk to practice, uh, flaunting me about the fact that he, uh, he got a turnover in the previous practice. So um, this seems absolutely badass, in my opinion. Uh, Cam, do you feel threatened by this, uh, by an ACC team bringing in a uh, a turnover mode of transportation? Absolutely not. 
Uh, <laughs> you know, just I don't, you know, like no, no, I don't. I mean, I mean, and Manny Diaz has even spoken about this. Miami was not the first program to have a prop on the sideline for a turnover or anything. We just happened to revolutionize it and make it iconic. You know what I mean? Like the the viral moment came after the turnover chain came out to Malik Young a couple years ago the first time. That was that really elevated the sideline prop thing into being this moment, this meme, this, you know, great thing across like pretty much any industry. Like I've seen it in, you know, insurance offices and high schools and elementary schools and spelling bee. I mean, like everyone has like a thing now. And that was really because of what Miami did with it and kind of the ethos around it. But for anybody and like everybody has one now. Every single person. I mean, you got Tennessee, they had the trash can, and you got the shoulder pads plays that you got the I mean, like everybody has their own thing. So like do like be you, lean into it, enjoy. Um, you know, and there's many different versions of things, and everybody can kind of live their truth and have their own kind of prop or you know, their you know, low riding bike or whatever that they have that works for them in the situation that that does work for them. So no, I mean, I don't feel threatened. And I mean, I would if you know, I, I would feel I would feel threatened if Miami had come up with the idea first and we were McDonald's and you guys were McDowell's from coming to America. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> if you were, you know, having the golden arcs coming off the golden arches, if it was like something like that, I would feel that way. But in that Miami didn't start it necessarily, even though we did revolutionize it. No, I don't I don't feel any way, uh, you know, uh, you know, worried about it or anything, but Hey, I love seeing all the different ones just so I can laugh at them. So, I mean, if it works for you, like if you like it, I love it. Go ahead. Mike, uh, you officially have homework. I need you to figure out what the turnover prop for Virginia tech should be. The, the most uh, culturally appropriate in Blacksburg turnover prop and or mode of transportation would be. It's going to be a turnover the ball. I was gonna say turn over the ball so much they should be giving out turnover props, bro. <laughs> like, like we don't we don't get a turnover chain on defense until we actually turn the other team over. We're having a hard time doing that as a program right now. <laughs> well, I'm trying to make a Bud Foster joke, and I just don't know how at this point. It's just it's. <laughs> oh well, we'll we'll get there. Okay, keep in mind Georgia Tech takeaway cruiser. It, it's if you're ever having a bad day, just think about that. It's it's a good day, I think, if you think about that. Um, all right, let's move on, gentlemen. Um, I, I have bad news for you. It is it is officially the end of an era. Um, Uh-oh. it is the end of an era. We we've had a, a great time, and we've we've celebrated, and we've got a lot of good memories. But it is time officially. The Carrier Dome is getting a new roof for Syracuse. Holy shit! What will we do? Yeah, who knew? I yeah, I um, you know, hold on to a loved one. You know, I I have my, my phone's on. If you need to call for some support, um, <laughs> the, the Carrier Dome is getting a new roof, and and I'll tell you what, they're even getting an air conditioning system in there. Uh, oh, sponsored by God. Carrier. Sponsored by Carrier. Wow, Clock. it all makes sense now. My life makes sense. That's right. That's right. Now. Important fact here: uh, this start, this construction effort all starts March first of 2020. So the, the Orange have one last ride under the current roof. So you know, don't need to worry or panic yet. But there is a chance that going into 2020, the roof might not be done yet, and Syracuse 
is going to have to figure out where the hell to play football games in Syracuse, New York. That's not in the carrier dome. And I, for one, am intrigued to see how that whole thing turns out. Um, so please join me in pouring one out for the roof, the current roof of the carrier dome. Yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of crazy, you know, like it, for me, you know, I, I kind of think back to the old uh, Twinkie Dome, the uh, where the Minnesota Twins used to play, uh, you know, and how they had, would have to uh, redid the roof or it, it collapsed on them uh, under the weight of snow one time. Actually, that's what happened. Uh, but they used to play uh, yeah. football and baseball. there. Yeah, you remember that. But yeah, the, the snow in Minnesota was so heavy that it couldn't be supported by the structure and it caved in. Um, so like that's the last time that I remember like, a domed stadium as such, like getting a new roof, like the silver dome in Detroit, like, no, we just moved out of there to Ford field and whatnot. So there was no like re uh, construction of the roof, but yeah, that's a, that's a little crazy. Uh, I mean, I'm interested to see what they do. Obviously they do play lacrosse in the same dome uh, there. Uh, and I know that, you know, the lacrosse program at Syracuse has won uh, multiple national championships. So I don't know if they want to do something, if they're going to like paint a mural on the underneath side or something like that. Um, I don't know, but uh, it's – I mean, the bigger thing to me is, like, the actual, like, climate control of having air conditioning in there. Like, that's going to be crazy. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just, like, redoing the roof is uh, it's, its own thing. You know, it, it was different, you know, like I said, at the, the Twins Dome uh, because you played baseball in there. And the, the dome ceiling, a roof – was the same color as the baseball. So you had to like go in there early and take outfield practice so you could see it like on a ball hit where the ball went because if you looked up, it would be gone. But I mean, with a football going against like a nylon kind of uh, roof, that's not going to be the issue. But yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting. And definitely in a couple of years when it's done, all of the people there in Syracuse, New York are going to be very, very, I don't know if happy is the right word. I mean, because it's like, it's not like it's South Florida where it gets hot and everything. Like, you know, I'm running the air conditioning at quite cool right now, even though it's, you know, April already, but. I'd be doing this year round. So for them, maybe it'll be just having heat during the wintertime because it does snow a lot in northern New York. Upstate, excuse me. They call it upstate New York. Well, I guess we can say that Dino Babers is bringing the heat. <laughs> Boo! Wow with the dad jokes, bro. Oh, man. Had to be done. I'm just Didn't happy know. because it's finally 2019 and indoor structures are going to have HVAC work done to them. Yo, it's literally called the carrier dome. <laughs> I mean, Jesus God, dude, it's 2019. And it's been there, by the way. You know, it's not like new. Yeah, yeah. this has been going on for like decades. So there's that. Um, so good on you, Syracuse. Finally making the decision to cut ties with your lack of air conditioning and your uh, your – way out of date roof good on you um we'll see if this affects the 2020 season hopefully not but on some level looking for entertainment well i wouldn't hate if it did i mean but wouldn't wouldn't it stand a reason then that syracuse will be a little bit of a different team since they're playing outdoors instead of indoors probably because i don't think that there's another dome in the syracuse area so you know they're gonna play somewhere maybe they're playing on real grass instead of turf you know, and that changes the speed of how you do things. I mean, like, there could actually be, like, a demonstrable difference to their season and style of play um, moving out of the Carrier Dome for a year or more. Hopefully, I mean, I think Babers hopes it's only one season, but I don't know. This, I'm thinking on the fly here. I'm thinking out loud. I was just, I don't know. I don't know. 
I, I think if you get it solved in like late September or something, it probably doesn't make that much of a difference to them. But if you go into like the back half of your season and you still don't have an indoor stadium to play in and you got to play home games in the wind and the snow coming off the lake and all that, I mean, yeah, that could get real dicey real quick. Um, so luckily, you know, construction projects tend to go according to plan. So, um, you know. Oh, yeah. Every, every construction project that I've ever seen was like – spot on no overages on money or time yeah they go really easily of course <laughs> i'm sure it'll be fine i'm sure it'll be fine all right a uh, couple more things uh, uh, did you guys see these new uh, uniforms for pittsburgh i did hell Ooh. yeah they are sexy should have been doing this all along yeah well what have we been doing for a couple of decades now getting uh, it wrong that's what they've been doing pit with been the retro colors They've I'll been be getting damned. it wrong. Yeah, they, 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 needed, they really needed this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Brand city. Big fan. Um, Pitt, congratulations. You got it right. Uh, these uniforms are dope. They are sexy. The thing I'm curious about right now, I'm looking at these uh, this combination that was released by the school here a couple of days ago. Um, the, the pants on both the home and the away uniform are yellow. I'm curious to see if you can like parlay this thing into a yellow top. What that would look like, I don't even know. You got yellow helmets, um, so I don't know. That could be know they'll, they'll probably have that for like a special game or something. But uh, the thing I wanted to say is, it's not just football. It is athletic department wide is rebranding in the retro color scheme and script pit and everything like that for the uniforms because uh, they released a couple of the other sports at the same time uh, from the Pittsburgh athletic department. Uh, that they did the football uh, uniform release. So, no, nah, it's pretty cool. And like you said, like, yeah, for a couple, few decades, they've been getting it wrong, and uh, they finally went back to their roots. You know, obviously with little updated tweaks, kind of like, I mean, not in the sim- exactly the same, but like Miami kind of went retro-ish instead of doing like all this busy stuff uh, to kind of recapture the glory of former uniforms. <coughs> Excuse me, Pitt is doing that uh, athletic department-wide, and I think that they are sexy. Mm-hmm. I'm just hoping. I'm just hoping that with these new uniforms, Pat Narduzzi realizes they probably shouldn't throw the ball 30 times a game with Kenny Pickett. That's really <laughs> all I'm hoping for now. Like turn over the new leaf, like go full blast, like get the new uniforms, start handing the ball off more. Like don't throw the ball at Kenny Pickett. Well, you know, there's a team in 2017 that was once undefeated and went to Pittsburgh, and Kenny Pickett threw Uh-oh. the ball times. And beat that team that would have been your 2017 Miami Hurricanes. So you say don't do that. And it just gives me flashbacks to, oh, my God, how terrible were we that we let them do this, which everyone sees they should not be doing. And they beat us with it. Yeah. And no disrespect to Kenny Pickett, but he is just atrocious throwing the football. It's just not good. Although I will say I'm, I'm glad there weren't any cameras in the room watching me freak out as he ran like a naked play action bootleg to score a touchdown against Miami that against what was it ten and zero Miami ten and zero Miami seventeen yep they're in sure. Pittsburgh by a Pittsburgh team that wasn't going to a bowl game that is also correct sir okay all right just checking just making sure I got the number right. No, I hear you, but uh, all of those uh, statements were factual, and uh, you know I'm not going to rage about it because I did at the time, but. Uh, yeah, it's uh, just funny that, you know, two years on, we're saying, oh, this is a thing that Pittsburgh and Kenny Pickett should not be doing. And I'm sitting over here like, they beat us. <laughs> that very thing. So, 
It's okay. Bad. It's all over now. It's all over now. Manny Diaz is the head coach. So I know. Here. Let's go, Manny. Come on. Vamos. Vamos. <laughs> Vamos. Vamos, Manny. Dale. All right. Um, last thing I have before like the, the big finish here. Um, there was a story that came out recently about uh, Louisville, my, my Cardinals. I'm wearing my shirt here right now uh, for those watching. Um, Louisville in four years under Bobby Petrino went over its recruiting budget by well into the seven digits. Um, you know, and it's, it's one thing, I mean, you know, we've been in business, people go over budget from time to time. It happens. And, you know, sometimes it's a conscious decision. Sometimes you're not paying attention, but to me, what's, what's more relevant here is that Louisville went way over budget on recruiting. And my question becomes on what, it's not like Louisville's been recruiting particularly what last year they had the 72nd class in the country. They were worse than the power five. What on God's green earth is Louisville spending recruiting money on getting like decidedly mediocre classes left and right? Yes, Michael. I'd like to take the first stab at this. I'm going to go with motorcycles, mistresses, and Brian Van Gorder. This is where we make strippers in the dorm jokes, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. They've had so many issues with all facets of their athletic department. We can mm -hmm. even skip over the strippers with the basketball program, and we still got books books worth of jokes. Man, I, I, I will say I it's absolutely my favorite part of being a Louisville fan and, and a Georgia Tech fan and alumnus is that um, I have the opportunity at a moment's notice to decide whether I want to be on or off of my high horse. Because if I want to be on my high horse, I can easily take the Georgia Tech fan perspective. If I want to just have no regard for the high horse, go cards. <laughs> I mean, yeah, just because your former coach fell off that high horse uh, and broke his neck and scratched his face. What? Anyway. The, high, the steel Oops. horse, actually. <laughs> exactly. That, that motorcycle accident uh, years ago, for those who didn't remember. Uh, but for Ooh, Louisville, I mean, okay, if we're, we're going to be real for a second. They had 43 official visits in 2018. They had in 2017, so 43 players came for official visits, 39 in 2017. So that's underneath the allocation from the NCAA, but maybe they, again, were just showing them a very good time when they were coming into town for that. Um, but then, yeah, uh, as you guys asked it uh, to me earlier, I said, you know, hey, maybe the answer was Lamar Jackson because, like, yeah, you know, you had to get them there somehow. Um, and I mean, yes, that's a joke. That's a joke. Don't write in. Don't look for me. Don't want to fight me. Like, I know that they were the first team to really offer him to be a quarterback in Miami and Florida. Everybody offered him late. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but, you know, jokes over facts. No, they were paying Lamar Jackson. So, I mean, yeah, that's how they went over their budget. Um, and then also Brian Van Gorder, who, I mean, just, man, I really was hopeful that even with a Mark Richt coached offense, we were going to be able to go up against a BVG defense this year because, oh, man, how fun would that have been for Miami? Yeah. I, Joey, remember when we said that there's no way that Brian Van Gorder could be worse than Peter Sermon, and we were wrong by, like, hundreds of yards, like hundreds of yards per game. We were wrong. I mean, it was so, so bad. I think that's bordering on the one of the worst takes Joey and I have ever had that Brian Van Gorder, there's no possible way he could be worse than Peter Sermon. And he was spectacularly worse. Like, not even just a little worse, like way, way, way worse. It wasn't even close. 
I tell you what, I, I say stuff that's wrong all the time, and I'm I'm happy to own it. And I'll I'll I do not own that one. That's not on us. We were correct. It just I think there was some sabotage or something that went into that because there there is just no excuse for what Louisville's defense was last year. It's I, I don't own that. I, it's not on me. Look, I'll put it to you like this: as I, I'm listening to you guys, it's almost as though. On his treadmill workout one week, Brian Van Gorder was listening to the Basketball Conference ACC podcast and said, you know what? I'm going to take that bet that I can't be worth, <laughs> and I'm going to show these guys exactly how bad I can do because that's how bad it was. Hey, man, failing upwards, it still got him hired somewhere else. I mean, I mean, ugh. it all works out in the end, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, amazing. <sighs> totally amazing. I, I I like I'm only marginally kidding when I say that we really should just be a Bowling Green football podcast this fall because the Scott oh Leffler Brian Van Gorder experiment is just too good to pass up. Wait, they got Leffler and Van Gorder? Leffler is their head coach, bro. What? Oh my wow, mind blown. I you can't make this stuff be- up. It's going to be a complete and total rebrand this fall. Basketball conference, the Bowling Green football podcast. Oh my Total rebrand city. Van Gorder's the defensive coordinator because Carl Polini walked out on him. I am going <laughs> to do my absolute best to follow Bowling Green football this year now that I know this. And I'm not joking. Like, they're going to be – I'm going to put their schedule in my phone. I'm going to check – oh, my holy goodness. Are you? Wow. Okay, yeah. Okay, Bowling Green. Okay, let's do it. All right, all three of us have homework. What is the 2019 Bowling Green football drinking game that you would survive? Ooh. By the way, Carl Polini walked out on Scott Leffler to go join his brother Bo at Youngstown State. The Polini brothers wa- ride once again. But isn't he going to be the isn't he the coach in waiting? So like Bo's gonna coach a couple more years and then go and then you know the uh, and then Carl's gonna take over again or something like that. Like I thought I heard maybe that is being part of the deal as well. And if I'm wrong, and I apologize for that. I'm not like trying to break news or anything. I thought that was a thing I saw. So like if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. It was unintentional. Yeah, I got the Scott the Scott Leffler offense. Drink every time you run a jet sweep. Drink every time you run read option. Drink every time you run a jet sweep. Literally drink every time you run read option. Like you're dead already. I'm dead just thinking about it. Drink double on plays that go for a loss. Oh Jesus. <laughs> you're not gonna survive the first quarter, bro. Like, no. Oh. Drink if Darryl. you can call and drink if you can call the next play from the stands. Oh Jesus. <laughs> I mean, I could have done that with Miami, but I, I just went on football scoop and it says uh, Carl Polini is expected to be named the defensive coordinator and either expressly or with the understanding that he is now the head coach in waiting. I didn't make that up. Boom. Told you. <laughs> you literally can't make this stuff up. You can't. Right. Okay. Basketball conference listeners, your homework, send us an email, basketball conference podcast at gmail.com. What is the bowl, what is the bowl, thank you? What is the Bowling Green football 2019 drinking game that would be amusing to play but would not kill me? <laughs> That's your criteria. Taking, that, taking all suggestions. This is this is a crowdsourcing effort at this point. It would entertain me but would not kill me. That's what I want to know. 
I cannot wait to listen to the episode when you guys recap all of these. This is going to be high comedy. Goodness. Okay. We are an hour and 15 minutes in, which means it is time for the main event. And then we got to get out of here. Um, last thing I got, guys. We have early season betting lines for a couple of ACC games. It is it is time to talk about these. Um, we got four games here. Let's start here, Cam. Your Miami Hurricanes starting the season. Week zero in Orlando, Camping World Stadium against your Florida, your Florida Gators. The Gators are an eight and a half point favorite. What do we what do we think? We think Miami covers eight and a half here. Um, I got to see more. Honestly, I almost want to put this as incomplete. If I have to make a pick right now, just based upon what we have already seen, I'm going to go with Florida to cover that. With the full understanding that Miami is, and like the Miami Athletic Department, Kane's football on Twitter just put out today because the fan base has been bitching and moaning about the lack of video and like access. And they said from the official verified account, we're not putting information out there. We are hiding what we are doing on offense to unveil that August 24th. I don't know. So I'm, you know, like you said, I have a full-time day job. I'm not able to be an on-site beat writer. I'm not sure. So from the foundation of what we have now with an offensive line that has two returning starters, but they're probably both going to play new spots. So you have, for all intents and purposes, five new starters up front on offensive line and a new starting quarterback and some uncertainty at some other positions pending these guys actually getting on campus and performing. Everything right now points to Florida covering, but I... My heart of hearts, I don't think that's going to happen. But if I had to make a pick right now, I'm going to take Florida. Yeah, yeah I'm taking Florida too. I'm taking Florida too. Um, pretty much echo everything that Cam said. I think there's too much uncertainty. First of all, it's the opener. Second of all, I think there's too much uncertainty with Miami, with the quarterbacks, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I like the momentum that Miami has. I just think that um, Florida, there's, there's, more certainty with the Florida Gators football program right now than there is with Miami. Not to say that Florida is more talented, but simply that uh, Miami, I think, has more question marks at more prominent positions on the field than Florida does at this point in time. So I'd roll with Florida to cover as we sit here talking about this in April. Um, I I think that's that's the safer pick at this point. I, I totally see what you guys are saying. I my biggest concern would be giving eight and a half points against a defense as good as Miami's is going to be. But at the same time, I mean, do, which which team do I trust to score? You know, if if this is a, a twenty eight to seventeen kind of game, that's totally reasonable to me. And I trust Florida's offense way more than I trust Miami's at this point, especially game one in in late mid August, right? Like, mm-hmm. so I. I that's probably the right side. That is, you know, outside of a touchdown. I, I don't know if I'd love that on a neutral site. So uh, probably fair. Okay. Uh, moving on. The Florida State Seminoles taking on the Boise State Broncos. And I'm pretty sure I read this line right. This is in Jacksonville, by the way. Um, the Knolls are a four and a half point favorite against Boise State. Does anybody know why Florida State's favorite in that game? The name on the front of the jersey. Yep. I agree. Might be the best I got. So we're on Boise, right? Outright? Yep. Probably. No. 
I don't know about outright, but like I'm definitely leaning Boise way. Um, yeah, outright. I mean, I mean Florida, <laughs> I was like, twist my arm outright. You know what the hell? I don't know that I've, I've seen or read anything that suggests that Florida State's going to be able to block a damn thing up front on offense. And I mean, if if Boise is in a total rebuild year, traveling all the way across country against the raw talent that Florida State's going to have on the field, like. Okay, I guess Florida State can win that, but like in just terms of looking at like how functional were these teams last year, like I have to think that Boise State would just wipe the floor with Florida State. I mean, if this was the 2018 iterations of those teams, absolutely, 100%. But it's not and as reprehensible as you may find him to be, Kendall Bryles can call some offense. Um, the Browns so, factor has got to be probably got to be factored in here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, their offensive line, like Miami's has been a sieve recently and, you know, things like that. I mean, they lose a lot on defense and, uh, don't necessarily have the players to replace it. Uh, and you know, so there are things to, to like on either side, but, uh, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting. For what it's worth, S&P plus has Boise state is like a point and a half favorite here. Oh yeah. Broncos. Man. All right. Let's go. so keep an eye on that um next game in charlotte week one the usc gamecocks a seven point favorite against our north carolina tar heels i have no earthly idea how i feel about this game yeah uh i don't know i don't know i don't know um i think that north carolina is gonna go with a freshman at quarterback um because Last year's starting quarterback is now playing linebacker. What? Uh, which Chaz is Surratt, Surratt, like, maybe. Yeah, yeah Chaz Threat. Like, uh, go ACC. Yeah. You know, uh, he was two time North Carolina offense or high school player of the year as a quarterback, left handed kid, you know, 6'2, 215 or whatever. And he's, I mean, not full Dan Kendra going from 190 pounds to 250. That's a real deep cut throwback for you ACC fans. But, I mean, yeah, he's up to 225, 230, and he's playing outside linebacker, and they're going to look at maybe Sam Howell to be the starting quarterback. Um, and I just don't see how that's going to go well for them, especially because Muschamp coaches defense, and he coaches the hell out of some defense. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's the same concern that you have with Miami being – on August 24th, so not even just early, but a week less of fall camp early. The same thing with the true freshman likely to start against that South Carolina defense and that Will Muschamp-led defense. So you're going with the true freshman against the brain of Will Muschamp. South Carolina. Let's, I mean, I don't – yeah, South Carolina by 10 or more. Yeah, South Quite Carolina. Right. Very, very, yeah, very, very safe pick here. I think Mac Brown is actually going to turn out just because of the staff that he's put together there. I think he's actually going to turn out to be a pretty decent hire. It's going to fly under the radar a little bit. I just feel like so many people dismissed it because North Car- everybody felt like North Carolina was like reliving the glory days. And then he put his staff together and all of a sudden everybody's looking at like, actually, that could work OK. Um, it's not going to work in game one, though, like not with a true freshman not against Will Muschamp and the South Carolina defense. Uh, South Carolina has been, let's call it on the uptick. Um, they, they were very inconsistent last year, but let, let's say they're on the uptick because they are better than when he arrived. 
Um, I just South Carolina in game one, that should be way too much for North Carolina, no matter who they're starting a quarterback there in the opener. I think the biggest question with, with Mac Brown becomes, you know, how, what's the longevity there? I mean, is it going to be more than a few years? Again, the guy is already one of the oldest active head coaches in the FBS. I mean, he's, it, it's a little bit surprising that he came back to coaching at all, but I, I think there's also a question a little bit too of, I mean, he made some, what seemed to be really good coordinator hires, but how much do they make sense with each other? I think it's something else to keep an eye on. Um, as far as, again, week one, what are they able to turn this this team into after a couple of, of pretty brutal years of, of varying types? Um, I Yeah, I think probably the right call there is just give the seven points with South Carolina and, and just expect that that program and its continuity is going um, gonna to be the right side there. Last one, week two. Um, first of all, this is I, I don't know why they didn't want to give a uh, give odds on their week one game against Georgia Tech. Those cowards. Uh, Clemson, a three touchdown home favorite against Texas A&M. That feels like way too many points. But then again, Clemson has Trevor Lawrence and Texas A&M does not. Um, I think Texas A&M could cover three scores. That's a lot. I tend to think so as well. That's a lot of points. I mean, yeah, they have Trevor Lawrence. And, I mean, we saw how, I mean, he's phenomenal. But, good God, three touchdowns against a Power 5 school from the SEC. Three scores. I'd, yeah, I, I don't know about all that. I mean, I think Clemson wins comfortably. But, holy, that, that's a lot of points. Yeah, I agree. It's it's just a lot of points. And even if you're looking at 49 to 30 or, you know, something like that. I mean, that still covers. You know what I mean? So, yeah. uh, you know, and even if they get up big um, and they start pulling the stars, you know, your Justin Rosses, your um, T. Martins. Um, wait, his name is not T. Martin. T. whatever the wide receiver. Um, uh, Higgins. T. Higgins. There it is. Yeah. So, yeah, they pulled Justin Ross, T. Higgins, Trevor Lawrence. um, ETN, the running back, they still are going to, you know, put up points and things, but that might uh, leave room for AM to get a couple, you know, cheap late scores against the second or third team. Or, or, you know, maybe, hey, Jimbo just schemes them up because, you know, he knows them. He coached at Florida State for a while. And, you know, Texas AM, they got Kellen Mond at quarterback. You know, they have some explosive uh, skill position players and some very good defensive talent. I Yeah, 21 is just a lot. I think it'll maybe be, you know, in that. 10 to 17 range, you know, 14 to 17 range uh, for Clemson to win. Uh, but 21, that's just too many points. So I, I would take the other side. Give me AM. And Texas AM just played them tough like last year. Texas AM was a team that, you know, out, outside of Syracuse when stuff got wonky and, and Lawrence got hurt. Um, and it was literally right after Kelly Bryant announced his transfer. Um, so they were, they were on their third string quarterback before they blinked. I mean, mm-hmm. Texas A&M was the closest team to beating Clemson last year outside of that weird Syracuse game. So we're not that far removed from that, guys. Like, that's yeah. – three touchdowns is a lot. Right, and I just looked that up. That was a two-point ball game. Like, they had a two-point conversion try to tie the game that fell in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was 28-26 in College Station. So you're going to go from that to three tutties? Uh, and I know that, okay, yeah, Clemson is Clemson, and Clemson just – demolished Alabama in a way that has not been seen since Mike Shula was their coach. I get it. But 
Clemson loses a lot also. All those defensive linemen they got to replace. And, yes, they have four-star and five-star guys who are going to be plugging in. You're going to learn the names. You know, Xavier Thomas and – and 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 I, I mean, who was a five-star recruit and he played 13 defensive end last year. Like, I get it. But, you know, it's a new year for everybody. And the Clemson we last saw, I don't necessarily think is going to be the Clemson that we're going to see in this game. Um, so, yeah, definitely I'm, I'm going with AM. and uh, And I may even say, you know, a little bit fewer points. Um, I don't know how low it would go before I would take Clemson. Like 14, I'm probably taking Clemson. 15 mm-hmm. and a half? It gets a little dicey. But, yeah, I'm, I mean, with a line that big, I should probably fly out to Vegas. Actually, I, I think I'm doing that this summer. And I'll put some money on that. Hmm. Hmm. My man. <laughs> I like the only thing I'm going to add to what you guys have said. And I, I agree with all the things that you said is we like the last couple three years, we have seen Clemson like totally kick the crap out of teams and win games by like 17 points. Yes. Like they, they, they don't have to be challenged at all to have a game that ends within three scores. And so like, I would factor that in. I think AM is the right side there, but Clemson still probably wins fairly easily at home and all that. They they they've got to rebuild that defense too, for what that's worth. Now they've got plenty of depth that has experience and all that. So I, I don't really worry about Clemson being able to win that game in Death Valley. But again, Clemson can kick the crap out of teams without really kicking the crap out of them on the scoreboard. So um yeah, AM plus the points there, I think is what the, what we go with. I'm a All Miami right. fan. I don't know what you're talking about with Clemson kicking the crap out of somebody <laughs> and not showing on the scoreboard. That's why I said the last two often. to three years. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we played the few years ago. I remember the game that got Al Golden fired. Is that what it was? It was it like was, oh, it most definitely was fifty something to nothing. Is that what it was? 59. Yeah, that's the one. Okay, I remember. Yeah, that game felt like it got me fired. I mean, (laughs) I felt a little guilty watching it. Like, I know it it was pretty bad. I was there, I stayed the entire time. And in the second half, when most everybody left because Miami was already down by a million, my uh pastime was counting the number of people in each lower bowl section. And (laughs) And I counted every section because I could do that. And the most that were remaining were 13. (laughs) <laughs> individual in a specific section. And I kid you not, because I sat there with a pencil and I counted each single person. That's what, yeah, it was It was bad. Yikes. Yikes. All right. Guys, that's all I got. Anything else? We covered a lot of ground. We sure did. Um, we, uh, yeah, so we, again, we had not recorded here in about a month. We promised you that we would make it up to you. We have now gone an hour and a half. We have brought on an esteemed guest. Um, I don't know what else you want from us. You have homework, by the way, as a listener. What is the Bowling Green drinking game that would not kill me, but would keep me entertained? I want emails about this. Podcast at gmail.com. Please hit us up. We will absolutely, thank you. We will absolutely go through those at a later date. Um, Mr. Cam Underwood, thank you so much for joining us. It has been far too long since you've been on. It is always a pleasure having you on. Uh, do you want to please tell the people where they can go find your works on the internets? Absolutely. And you guys know that, you know, I, I love being on with you guys and just hanging out and chopping it up. And we've been in this party chat for near three hours now between just the three of us. So, <laughs> uh, you know, it's been a good time. But, uh, yeah, um, you know, I'm always on stateoftheu.com. You can follow us on Twitter at 
at the State of the U. My personal Twitter is at Underwood Sports. You can follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash the State of the U. Um, those are all the places that you can find me and our work. We have a great crew of contributors. We're probably going to start recruiting some new contributors. So if you're hearing the sound of my voice and you are a Miami fan like myself, Maybe you send an email to that email address. I will not confuse you by giving it to you here because obviously basketball conference podcast at gmail.com is the one that you want to uh, be emailing about your Bowling Green um, drinking yeah, games. But anywhere, hey, of course, I mean, I've been around long enough that I, you know, finally have it internalized as well. But all those different places you can follow me. And I hope that you, uh, you know, come and support. And if you're a rival fan, I uh, hope that you stop by and check out what we're talking about on a week that we play one of your teams. Absolutely. Cam, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us. We would uh, we would love to have you back soon. You don't even have to wait to have us invite you, frankly. You just invite yourself whenever you want, as far as I'm concerned. You guys always say that, and I make fun of you guys in, in Twitter DMs. I'm like, yo, I haven't like talked to you guys in so long. I feel like, you know, uh, I got estranged from the friendship or something. We're like, oh, yeah, 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 like whatever. So, you know, you guys always say this, and it ends up being six months before we talk to each other. So outside of taking about me now. Outside of taking veiled shots at you on social media and literally tagging you in them, I, I can't think of a better way to uh, to connect with you than by doing this every couple months. No, definitely, man. It's always a good time. Thanks for having me, uh, guys. And for everybody who's listening, I hope that you continue to do that and also your homework and come fan with us over at State of the U. <laughs> can't appreciate it, brother. Come back soon. All right, uh, Mike, that's Cam Underwood. Uh, we've got to get out of here. It is it is getting excessively late here. You're playing a road game. you got to go do Always. business things, yeah, as, as per the use. Uh, so we're going to come back at some point, uh, probably tell this NC State story of the last couple of years and, and how the draft prospects have all worked out and all these good things. Uh, in the meantime, they can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel CFB. Together we're at BC Podcast ACC. And once again, you can go find Cam at Underwood Sports or at State of the State of the U, excuse me, on Twitter. Uh, you can go find him all the sorts of Miami coverage, all sorts of MLB the show talk, all sorts of what Game of Thrones. Uh, there's a lot of TV shows you talk about on there. There's all sorts of good stuff, all sorts of content on Cam's Twitter. Go check that out. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook. Excuse me, I, that's that's Mike's thing. I'm rusty, man. It's been a it's been a month or so. I'm so I'm rusty. I apologize. Uh, iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, the Overcast app, wherever fine podcasts are sold for free. Uh, please, by the way, share us with your friends. Um, we have only been able to grow this podcast because people tell their friends about it. Um, so if you, if you know another ACC football fan in your life, and uh, you tell them you listen to the Basketball Conference podcast, and you're like. Why, why are you listening to college basketball podcasts? And you can just explain to them, no, no, no. It's not a basketball podcast. It's a college football we're a bowling, podcast. We're a bowling, we're a bowling green fo- uh, football podcast. This is a Bowling Green football yeah. podcast that you need in your life. Um, so, yeah, tell your friends. We would appreciate that. Um, Mike, you want to tell me where they can find us on the social medias? Yeah, Facebook. Facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of our podcasts there, Joey. Yes, please do that. Please do that. And once again, I've mentioned this uh, a couple times already, but – the email address you are to send your homework to or any other questions or any other topics you want us to discuss on this here podcast, football related or otherwise, those can all go to the longest email address in a man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Again. That's a that's a that's a combo right there. That's what, Not you know, bonus points, yeah. Like riding a bike. Um, Mike, they can find us on YouTube if they want to come uh, come watch and want to check out one of Cam's large, large repertoire uh, of Miami shirts. Um, he's he's got the polo going. Uh, the dark green polo with the orange stripe. Yep, there it is. Um, oh, it's a zipper. Oh, that's a 
one of the uh, what is it the uh, the shacket? Is that what Godfrey and Bill called it? Yeah, it's the the shacket, the quarter zip uh, pullover. Yeah, there you go. Very good, very good. Um, you can check that out. You can check out my uh, my Louisville shirt. It's a deep cut. It's a rare one. Um, I also did some hanging around the room. So I've got a mirror that's no longer sitting on the floor. It's actually on the wall now. So check that out. Um, Mike, anything else before we get out of here? Uh, no, man. I think we're good. I think so. Uh, you want to come back and record sometime soon? Probably in less than a month. Yeah, less than a month would be good. Let's do that. Let's do that. All right. Well, for that guy, Mr. Mike McDaniel, and for our esteemed guest, Mr. Cameron Underwood, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. Congratulations to Mike's Virginia Cavaliers for winning the national championship. Just I by the way, throw up. <laughs> just throwing that in there. Mike's Cavs are national champions. Uh, we will talk to you guys again soon. And until next time, go ACC. Go ACC.